This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 1, uh, we're going to start in uh, verse number 1, uh, just for context, and read through verse number 4. James, the servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. That word temptations could also be used as the word trials. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. Uh, two weeks from tonight, we'll be taking a look at the idea of wisdom and what the Bible has to say about that, and it is just chock full of the idea of how important wisdom is. Uh, when we think about wisdom, wisdom comes from the Lord, and wisdom comes from the Word. Uh, there's, there's no wisdom in the world that is not backed up by the Bible that doesn't agree with the Bible. There's no wisdom that's given in the Bible that just doesn't apply anymore these days. It, it's fascinating to me to read the book of Proverbs and how it was written thousands of years ago, but it's so, so applicable today to every situation, every circumstance. I was reading through the book of Psalms this past week as part of my devotional, and I was just absolutely, totally moved uh, by God's Word and how it, it feels like it feels like David knows what I'm going through. It feels like he's feeling that before. And so when we, we read the Word, I want to challenge you to be in the Word every single solitary day of your life. It will help you, I promise you that. But don't just read it like you're reading the newspaper or you're reading the, the news headlines. Read it like it is the Word of God speaking to you because you'll find so much wisdom in God's Word. When we think about the idea of trials, Trials give us the opportunity to put into practice the wisdom that we have received. So it's not enough to just have wisdom. We have to actually use our wisdom. And trials are the opportunity to actually use the wisdom that we have. One of my uh, friends uh, had the opportunity to serve in Iraq and Afghanistan and actually uh, go to war and see combat. And I asked him, I said, what was that like? And he said, actually, he said, the first time I went into combat, he said, I was so pumped up. I was so excited. And I said, that's crazy. Why would you be excited? He said, because I'd trained my entire career for combat and had never actually done anything. I mean, we're blowing stuff up that everybody else blows up. We're shooting at stuff that everybody else is shooting at. If we actually get to shoot real bullets, everybody got pumped up about that. We had training and targeting because we never actually got to use it. And he goes, but to actually be able to go into combat saying, yes, this is what we've trained for, to be able to put it into practice, he said, that was exciting. And I think of that when it comes to the Christian life, that we read things like, oh yeah, God's good. Oh yeah, God's faithful. Oh yeah, God will sustain you. Oh sure, God will give you grace. God will give you mercy. There's nothing that God's going to put you through that you can't handle. That God is always good all the time. But then you really get to practice that when trials come. And then you begin to, to stop for a moment and say, huh, God's always good, but this doesn't feel good. <laughs> I know God's faithful, but it doesn't feel like it right now. I know God is the God of all comfort, but why do I feel so alone? And it gives us the opportunity to take this big, huge idea of wisdom that we find comes from God's Word and actually do something with it. Rather than it being head knowledge or heart knowledge, it's real-life application now. Trials are where the rubber meets the road for the Christian life because we begin to experience God in a way that we never would in a life of ease. Keep your finger here in James. We're going to come back in just a second. But flip over, if you would, to Psalm 18. Whatever you're going through in life, you can always find yourself in the book of Psalms. That's a, a guarantee. If you're having a great week, God's been good. He's always faithful. Your commute's been perfect. It's green lights all the way. Man, you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms, praising God with David on the mountaintop. If it's been the worst week of your life, you don't understand even what happened, you'll find yourself in the book of Psalms with David. People hate your guts, you'll find yourself with David. Everybody thinks you're the best thing in the world. Find yourself with David. You'll always find truth in the book of Psalms. You always find identification in the book of Psalms. 
Psalm 18 is one of those, those psalms of great encouragement. If you're, if you're struggling in your faith or you need a word of encouragement, Psalm 18 is a place where you can turn to. So many times I've sat people down and walked them through Psalm 18, the first few verses there, because there's so much good stuff found there. We think of Psalm 18, verse number one, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. Where does our strength come? It comes from the Lord. He's not part of our strength. He is our strength. Verse number two, the Lord is my rock. He's unchanging. He's always been there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God that Abraham trusted. He's the same God that Moses trusted to part the Red Sea. And he's the same God that you and I can trust today because he is our rock. He's my fortress. What's a fortress used for? It's a place to fortify yourself, to prepare for battle. It's a place where you can run into and find shelter from the enemy. He's my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust. And it's interesting, we see verse number one says he's our strength, but it says it again in verse number two. Again, drawing you back to the idea that God again and again and again is our strength. It says he's my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. The word buckler is not a word that we typically use in our vernacular today, but the word buckler means a shield. And it's not a big shield like you would stand behind to, to wait behind arrows. A buckler is a small shield. Think of like a Captain America shield. And it's a shield that not only can shield you from attack, but can also be used as a weapon as well. So it's interesting that God is compared to a shield that's not just a, a shield of defense, it's also a shield of offense. And whatever you're going through, you're not just sitting back, hunkered down, waiting for the, the storm to pass. No, God is out there fighting on your behalf because the Bible says that he is our buckler and our high tower. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. The sorrows of death come past about me. The floods of ungodly men made me afraid. The sorrows of hell come past about me. The snares of death prevented me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry came before him even unto his ears. I, I cried, and you know what? God heard me. My cry came into his ears. It came before him. God is not some impersonal, distant God that just doesn't care. He's not the type of God that doesn't get involved in anything unless it's a big deal. He's the type of God that you cry, he hears, he answers every single time. And again, if you, as you just read through the Psalms, you realize like, wow, what strength, what power is found here? What type of man could pin these? And if you're looking in your Bible and you have a heading up above the verse number one there, it says Psalm 18 to the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spake unto the Lord the words of this song in this day, that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. Hmm. When did David write this? He wrote it when he was on the run for his life. From Saul, a man who had almost adopted him as his own son, who had him in his home, who he had been best friends with Saul's son. Now Saul was out to kill him. Now Saul wanted to take David's head off. And Saul was given a split second to take David's life. He'd do it and wouldn't think twice about it. And what does David say? I'll trust the Lord. Even though my enemies are all around me, I trust him. David didn't write this from the throne room of the kingdom. David didn't write this with his crown upon his head and his royal subjects bringing him lunch. He probably wrote this in a cave somewhere while he was running for his life. And as you read through other psalms of comfort that we find in the Bible, you'll find one of them where he was on the run from Absalom, his own son who sought to kill him, and he was writing it from a cave. And it was a song of praise and faithfulness of God. And again, we see here that our trials are simply a matter for us to practice what we preach. It's a matter for us to actually put into practice the things that we already know. David knew that God was faithful, but when God spared his life from Saul, he's like, oh, God's really faithful. And so again, trials give us the opportunity to practice the wisdom that we've been learning our whole lives. Look, I don't want my kids to ever go through difficulty, and I don't want my kids to go through trials. But to try to spare my children from going through trials only hurts them in the end. Because it doesn't give them the opportunity to grow. It doesn't give them the opportunity to see God come through. Turn back to uh, James chapter 1, if you would. Spiritual strength, on the other hand, can only be achieved through opposition and trials. You see, you can't read a book on how to be stronger. 
You can read books on bodybuilding, weightlifting, powerlifting. But if you're sitting on the couch watching TV, reading a book on powerlifting, you're not getting any stronger. You want to grow physically? You want to grow in strength physically? You know what you got to do? You got to get up off the couch. You got to go find yourself a barbell, load some weights on it, and start lifting heavy stuff. Oh, how do you get so strong? Get strong by lifting heavy things. And then going home, going to bed, and doing it again the next day. And it's interesting. If you want to be strong, strength doesn't come overnight. Strength doesn't come by reading more books. Strength comes by putting in the difficult work, by going through pain, sacrifice, self-sacrifice, being willing to put your own hopes, dreams, goals, aspirations to the side to follow after Christ. That's where strength comes from. We took a look at last week, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Again, the whole purpose of, of difficulty and trials is to conform us to the image of Christ, to make us like Jesus, to follow His example. If Christ is the firstborn of many brethren, He's our big brother who's already walked the road that we're on. And we draw strength not by just reading stories about Jesus, but by going through trials like Jesus went through. By facing difficulty head on and not cowering and not tucking our tail between our legs and running, but by bowing up the difficulty when it comes our way and say, hey, God's given me the strength to make it through this. I'm just going to walk through this and I'm just going to need a lot of grace when I do it. That's where strength comes from. Strength doesn't come from reading books. Reading God's Word will definitely bring wisdom, but it's when the difficulty comes that you've got to choose to put that wisdom into practice. You've got to choose to actually do something with the knowledge that you have. That's where strength comes from. Strength comes when this week you'll be tempted to rebel against God. When sin comes knocking on your door, you'll have to determine, will you choose God's way or your own way? And when you resist temptation, you're going to grow a little bit spiritually. It might not be a lot, but it's a little. But consistency over time, you continue to walk with Jesus for not just a couple of days, but a couple of weeks, you're going to see your strength begin to grow. You start walking with Jesus not for a couple of weeks, but a couple of months, you're going to see your strength begin to grow. I'm telling you this, you walk with Jesus for 52 weeks straight, you won't know yourself in a year. Because that's where change takes place from difficulties, trials, consistency, facing it head on, not running from trouble, but facing trouble in the power of Jesus Christ. That's where it comes from. I had, uh, several years ago, I had signed up for a triathlon. And um, <coughs> so where we were at, we are living in the middle of the desert uh, in California, and there was no water to go swimming in. And so uh, well, I would get out, I would bike, I would get out and run, but there's nowhere to swim except the, the city pool. The city pool opened at 5 a.m. and it closed at 5.30 a.m. for lap swimming. So I got 30 minutes out of the day that I can swim. The problem is, who do you think swims at a city pool at 5 o'clock in the morning except really, really old people doing water aerobics in the pool at 5, five o'clock in the morning? Hey, look, I got to get in there and I got to like swim. Like I got to get some time in here. And I don't have a lot of time to, to do it. And so I mapped out a couple of days out of the week that I could actually get up to the city pool and go swimming. And I think Thatcher went with me a couple of times when we swam up there. And so I began to look into other ways that one could swim. And so they, they actually make these things. They're crazy. It, it, it's, a, it's called a swim trainer. It's like a table that you lay down on. You put these paddles on your hand. And it's got like this flywheel that you pull with your arms to make a swimming motion. And the, the harder that you pull, the more resistance it puts on it and things like that. And so the idea behind it is it mimics the style of swimming. And it's supposed to build your cardiovascular and your endurance and your muscles to be able to swim. The problem is, is like these machines are like $2,500. It's just like, I'm not going to spend $2,500 to fake swim. Like, that's crazy, right? And so I began to do a lot of research on the internet on ways that you could build up your swim times and way that you could actually put in the work and not actually have to go to a pool. And did you know that I found the best way to improve your swimming times is to actually do what? Is there a better way? Nope. Could you spend a lot of money for something that would kind of be like it? Probably. But is there a way that you can skirt that, get around it? I don't have the opportunity to swim. No. You're just going to have to get in the water and swim. 
And so that's what I did. I got up and I went to the, the city pool and I swam as much as I could. And then sometimes on my day off, we'd drive down to L.A. and I'd swim at the beach and things like that. And so it was crazy. I didn't ever want to do that again. Uh, but uh, the idea, again, you can read books on running, but you want to cut down your 5K time, you know what you need to do? Put the work in. You want to run a marathon, 26.2 miles? You're going to have to do more than run once a week for 20 minutes. You have to put the time and effort into actually creating that strength that you need. Trials are the same way. Trials will develop steadfastness and endurance. When we talk about steadfastness and endurance, it's the idea of being willing to stick it out for the long term. I had uh, ran my first 5K um, Man, long, long time ago, and I'd, after I'd finished that, it was exciting. I'd trained, I don't know, six weeks or so for that, and I was massively out of shape, and my 5K time was terrible because I'm, I'm way too big to be running, and it was really slow, but I had accomplished it, and the, the race that I was in, you got a medal at the end, you got a t-shirt, just like, wow, I feel really accomplished. I told my wife at the end, I said, hey, after this, I'm going to run a marathon. She was like, you can't run a marathon. That's just like, you don't ever tell me that I can't do something. Now I have to do it to prove you wrong. And so uh, I began training for a marathon, but it wasn't a six-week training, was it? Well, it was a lot more than that. It ended up being about 20 weeks of training, about five days a week. You know why? Because there's a dis- difference in running for three miles versus running 26.2 miles. Big difference. It's different from just going out and running for 20, 25 minutes versus two, three, four, five hours. Big difference. What's the difference? The difference is endurance. You can suck it up and get through anything on your own power. You can go through the worst things you've ever gone through in your entire life for 24 to 48 hours. We talk about going through difficulties, trials, hurt, pain for weeks, months, years. You can't just knuckle up and get through it. You're going to need something to carry you through that, and that's going to be steadfastness and endurance. If we take a look at verse number three, knowing this is the trying of your faith work with patience, but let patience have her perfect work, she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I want to be really clear here tonight, and some of you, this might be a new concept for you, so I want to take time to explain it to you. When we talk about the Bible that we carry with us to church, the Bible that you have with you on your app or something like that, we have a translation into the English language from the original Greek and Hebrew. The Old Testament would have been written in the Hebrew language, a little bit of Aramaic in the book of Daniel. The New Testament would have been written in the Greek language. Those are the originals that we have. And based on those original manuscripts, we put together what's referred to as a text, a collection of all the manuscripts that we have that identify the entire copy of the Bible in the original languages. Is everybody with me so far? Original language, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, right? That is the preserved word of God in those autographs, manuscripts that we keep, that we have in what's referred to as the text. When we translate that into our own language, we now have a translation of God's word in our own tongue, which is incredibly helpful for us because we don't know how to be Greek and Hebrew scholars to be able to understand the Bible. Somebody's taken time to translate it for us. Uh, Men like William Tyndale uh, have given their lives so that you and I can have the Bible in English. It's a big deal. But we have a translation from the original text into our language that we have here. All translations, regardless of of which version of the Bible that you use, which English translation you use, all of them have limitations because you're taking words that exist in a different language that sometimes don't fit word for word uh, into our language. For example, if you speak Spanish, there are certain words in Spanish that don't directly correlate to English, and so you kind of find some euphemisms or some figures of speech that kind of make it fit. Kind of same thing with the Bible when it comes to that. So I'm not saying that the, the, the translation of the Bible that we have is no good or that there's errors in God's Word because God's Word is perfect from cover to cover. It's without any errors whatsoever. It is the infallible Word of God. But when we look at certain words and what we think they mean, they don't always mean what we think they mean based on the words that they use. And again, uh, when the King James Version of the Bible was translated in 1611, there was a certain nuance of certain words that meant a certain thing that no longer carry the same meaning today. And so sometimes people say, well, why don't we use a newer, newer translation of the Bible? 
then we cross over into what's called textual criticism. And if you want your browser to explode and spend the rest of your life studying the Bible, uh, you can Google textual criticism when you get home because it's a, a big, huge thing. Uh, and so uh, if you've got questions on that, I'd be happy to answer those. Uh, John Stoker's incredibly knowledgeable when it comes to things like that. John's a Bible teacher. That's what he does. Uh, and so if you've got questions on text and textual criticisms and manuscripts and things along that, John's a phenomenal resource for that. I ask John questions all the time about stuff like that. But here's the thing. Why do I, I mention any of that today? Because here's something crazy. I learned something as I began to study through the, the study of the book of James. This word patience that's used here doesn't really mean patience the way that we think that it does. All my entire life, I've heard people say things like, oh, pray for me that I'll get patience. And people say, oh, don't pray for patience because the Bible says the only way you get patience is through trials, right? And you don't want trials. That's the only way that you get patience. The word that's used here for patience, there's two different words that are used in the, the Greek language in the New Testament, two words for the word patience. One of those uh, words is the word hupomone, which is the word that's used here, which means steadfast or endurance is what it means. The other word that's used, sometimes in, in newer translations of the Bible, gets translated into patience, but in much of the King James, it's the word long-suffering, is the word macrothumia. Neither one of those words mean patience the way that you and I think of it today. In this case here, when it says, let patience have her perfect work, it's talking about endurance or your ability to go the distance. When we think of patience, I think to myself, there's no way I'm driving to IAEA at 5.15 on a Tuesday afternoon. No way, no how. I don't have that kind of patience. That's what we think of when we think of patience. We think of patience, like, hey, I ordered a pizza. They said it would be here in 30 minutes. It's 40 minutes, and I've got no pizza left, but I'm going to keep my cool because I'm being patient, right? That idea of patience, the, the willingness to endure delay, get this, blew my mind. Never found in the Bible. Never. Ever. The idea of the willingness to endure delay, patience, not found in the Bible. Two different words that are used, translated patience or long-suffering. One, hupomone, which is used here, which means endurance or steadfastness. The willingness to stick it out and go the distance. The other one, macrothumia. The word macrothumia means long-burning. Think of it this way. You light the fuse on something, and maybe two years from now, it'll actually burn through. Long-burning is the idea of macrothumia, long-suffering. So when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient, love is kind, the idea of patient doesn't mean that it's willing to endure delay. It means that it's willing to suffer long. Not willing to put up with stuff for a couple of days, but being willing to put up with stuff for a couple of decades. That's different than patience. Being willing to, to endure wrong, waiting for the justice of God for a couple of years or a couple of decades, that's not what we would call patience. We would call that long-suffering. When I come to people, people come to me for advice on their marriage, they say things like, well, how long should I wait? How long should I allow uh, him to treat me this way? How long should I allow her to treat me this way? How long are you planning on living? You made a commitment before God, you're going to do it for the rest of your life. You've got to be willing to be long-suffering because that's what love is, 1 Corinthians 13 says. It's not trying to get its own way. It's not trying to, to make itself known. It's trying to suffer for an extended period of time. That's what love does. And so when we think of this idea of patience having its perfect work, it's talking about this idea of endurance. To be found still running the race 10 years from now. That's what it means when trials worketh endurance. This is what's going to strengthen you to be able to be walking with Jesus 20 years from now. Trials will do that for you. Crazy thought, huh? And so I, I just began to look up every single instance in the entire New Testament of the word patience. One of two words, none of them mean the willingness to endure delay. Crazy. Because anybody can be patient, but very few people can suffer long. That's, that requires the work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, and 23, the fr fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. And, and one of the, my pet peeves is English translations that use the word patience instead of that, because patience and long-suffering are two different things. 
Patience is I'm willing to wait 25 minutes for my frozen pizza to cook. That's patience. Patience is not I'm willing to put up with someone who's done me wrong for 12 months and wait to see what happens. That's not patience. That's long-suffering. And so when we look at this idea of trials, trials develop steadfastness and endurance. Patience allows me to tolerate delay. Endurance allows me to go the distance. That's the difference between these words here. Now again, I want to be ridiculously clear tonight. I am not saying that the Bible is wrong. I'm not saying that God used the wrong word. And I remember when I was a newer Christian, when people say like, well, the word says this, but they probably should have used a different word like X. I would automatically go, hey, wait a minute. They're trying to correct the word of God. They're not trying to correct the word of God. The word of God says the word hupomone. What does that mean? Look it up. It means steadfastness and endurance. Now, can we have steadfastness and endurance with a good attitude, with patience for sure, but it's not patience in the, the, the sense that we think of it. And so, again, I don't believe that we need to have a, a degree in, in ancient biblical languages to understand the Bible. Just sometimes you need just to do a little bit of digging. There's some apps that you can download for your phone and things like that that give you access to the Strong's Concordance. You can look up every single word in the Bible from your phone in the original language. It'll pull it up for you, tell you what that word means, where else it's found in the Bible, and the definition of it. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to do that. You download a free app on your phone to do it. But that's what I'm talking about when I talk about things like studying the Bible. It's more than just reading the word patience going, oh, yeah, I'm going to pray for patience today. Trials give you the ability to suffer long and to be steadfast. Look, when everything's going your way, you don't need to rely on God. You've got it on your own. If all your bills are paid, you don't have to pray for God's provision. If your kids are well-behaved and everything's fine with your kids, you don't have to pray for wisdom in parenting. You got it on your own. But when you walk through trials and difficulties and you realize, I couldn't fix this if I wanted to. This is 100% up to God. Then your faith begins to grow stronger. <laughs> I remember February of this year, seeing my daughter in the ICU unit. She had 17 bags hanging on those little IV trees they put on stands. She had 17 bags hanging off of that and tubes running everywhere. You know what it did? It strengthened my faith because I couldn't do anything here if I wanted to. I'm reading the names of this stuff that they got on these bags. I don't know what these things do. I don't know what they are. I couldn't fix this if I wanted to. We have people in our church that are doctors. But I said, hey, they told me this, this, and this. What do you think about that? They said, well, sounds good to me. All right. But... I'm not, a, I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know nothing. But I know who knows everything. I know who can speak the word and heal my daughter in a split second. And I'll trust that any day of the week. And I'm telling you this, that period of seeing my daughter in a state like that, it grew my faith. It was hard. It was one of the worst things that's ever happened in my entire life. But it strengthened my faith as a result of it. I didn't just think, oh, God's good. God's faithful. No, I knew God was faithful and I saw it with my own eyes. I knew God was going to bring her through it one way or another. <laughs> and I trusted him. And when I say one way or another, that's what I mean. God's either going to bring her through it or he's not. If he doesn't bring her through it, I'll see her one day in heaven. I trust God. And it's, it's times like that where, where you say, do I really trust God? I think I do. Okay. And so for us, we just prayed a lot that's it. We just trusted God a lot. People say, hey, how's things? Hey, here's what the doctor said, but we're just trusting the Lord. Never was there a point of panic. There's never a point of massive fear. Just a lot of faith, a lot of trust. And God took us through that period of time to strengthen our faith and to help us to grow in our trust in Him. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, but in all things approving ourselves as the minister of God's God, in much patience, afflictions, necessities, and distresses. That word patience, he says there, endurance. God uses us as a ministers of God in much endurance, in afflictions, in necessities, and distresses. But here's the thing about the idea of endurance or this idea of the word patience that's used in this passage here. Endurance requires training. You don't get endurance overnight. You make progress towards your goal. 
But you can't, you can't get endurance overnight. It takes time. You've got to build it. And that's why verse number uh, 4 says, Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word that's used there for perfect, many times in the New Testament, you can substitute the word perfect into the word mature or complete. Let patience have its complete work in you. It's going to take some time. You're going to walk through some trials. You're going to see some difficulty. It's going to hurt a little bit. You're going to feel stretched. There might even come a point where you feel like you're going to snap at any moment. But just hang in there because endurance is having its complete work in your life. But it requires training. It requires time. Endurance and perseverance are not simply given, but they're conditioned. You've got to walk through the process to get these things. All of us would say, oh, I want a mature faith. I want a faith that can endure trials and difficulties and storms when they come my way. Good. You'll get the opportunity to train for it. Well, I don't want to train for it. you got to. There's no other way around it. You have to experience it to know that it's true. Hey, you can tell me you got the best chocolate chip cookies in the world. You can send me a recipe. You can show me a picture of it. I'm not going to know how good it is till I taste it. You can talk all day about how, about how strong your faith is, how much you love the Lord, how great your devotional life is, how much you've memorized the scripture and things like that. You will never know how strong your faith is until you walk through a trial. You just won't. And so these gifts of strength, endurance, perseverance, God doesn't just hand them out like Tic Tacs. You got to earn them. And it doesn't come easy. Now again, we're not looking at this like, oh, God is this terrible, terrible God that's making life hard on us on purpose. No, God is strengthening us for the things that are ahead. Like an athlete trains for a race, like Olympians train for the Olympics, God is training you for the day that your trial comes so that you can meet it with strength and faith and not cower in fear and question your faith. So again, if you take a look at verse number uh, 4, Verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, interesting word choice here, isn't it? Worketh patience. It's, a, it's work. It doesn't say it giveth patience or creates patience or passes on patience. It says it works patience. And so it's a process. It's not given. It has to be conditioned. But when we look at steadfastness and endurance, the word perfect that's used here, these are marks of spiritual maturity. Immature Christians don't have steadfastness and endurance. Immature Christians quit. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people quit on their faith because it got hard. It's hard to watch. Difficulties come, trials come. And people say, oh no, I thought following Jesus made all my problems go away. Uh, it doesn't. I'm sorry that you thought that. You were misinformed. I, I thought that following Jesus me- meant that hard times wouldn't come. Uh, somebody didn't teach you well. But, but here's the crazy part that I've seen too. I've seen people who go through difficult trials, face them with great faith, but the second God brings them out of that trial, they're gone. They bail. They hit the eject button and they're gone from their faith. And oftentimes, it's trials that drive us to God. Here's a crazy thought for you. Okay, think about this for a second. Many times, it's trials that drive us to God and it's prosperity that pulls us away from God. Hui Kala was maybe 18 months old or so. And a young lady came on a Sunday morning and she sat in the back and just cried the whole time, the entire time. Like, song service, crying. I'm preaching, she's crying. I know I'm not the best preacher in the world, but it's not worth crying the whole time about, you know? <laughs> just crying. Church service is over. She didn't even get out of her seat. She just sat there and cried. And I asked my wife, would you go over and sit down and talk with her? She said, sure. And so she sits down and talks with her, and, you know, she grew up in church. She's a Christian. She's been away from the Lord. She's dating a guy who wasn't saved, and they were living together, and they were talking about getting married. She knew that it was wrong, and Kind of find out he had been unfaithful to her, and so she had left him, and, and now was on her own. She, she was very intelligent, came from a, a great family. She was a, a doctor's resident over at Queens. I mean, look at someone, talk about someone who seemed successful. 
And she was just like, I, I messed my life up. I, I turned my back on my faith. I can't believe this happened to me. And so Angela and I said, hey, you know, we were closing up, and <laughs> there was all of 40 people in our church at the time. And we said, you go grab lunch somewhere? And she said, sure. And so we went over to the mall and sat down with her and had lunch and just heard her story about what God was doing in her life and what she felt like God was bringing her back to it. And she was like, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God brought this into my life right now to draw, bring me back to him. And I can see God's hand through all this because when I got away from God, I was miserable. And now I feel like God's bringing me back and just being in church and hearing the word and hearing songs that I'm familiar with. She said, I feel like it's God drawing me back to him. And I can see God working through this terrible situation. We're like, man, praise God. Like, wow, here's a girl who in, in, in two hours has figured out the sovereignty of God and the chastisement of God and God's loving hand to draw her back. And she's like, wow, this is awesome. She said, man, she told me back at church tonight. She's like, what time does it start? It's 5 o'clock. She's like, I'll be there. 5 o'clock comes and goes and she didn't show. So Angela calls her on Monday. She doesn't answer the phone. Text her. Didn't get any response. Called just about every day that week. Hey, just want to check in and see how you're doing. I know you're really upset on Sunday and want to make sure everything's good with you. Hope to see you on Sunday and stuff like that. And then like Saturday night, my wife gets a text and she was like, hey, thanks for everything. I really appreciate you and your husband spending time with us. Me and my, me and my boyfriend decided we're going to patch things back up and I think I'm good. What? <laughs> you, you just went back to your life of sin because he invited you back. And, and then I realized many people want to use God as a spiritual 911. I'm in trouble. Hey, could you bail me out of this? You bailed me out. Okay, good. Thanks. I'm done. You, you, you can go now, God. I got this. But that's not steadfastness. That's not endurance. That's not walking through your trial. That's finding the closest exit for your trial. Endurance isn't found by finding the closest exit. Endurance is found by, guess what? Enduring. And so it's going to be work. It's going to be hard. But the spiritually mature Christian is willing to walk through that. That's why verse number five says, uh, verse number four, but let patience have her perfect, complete work that you may be perfect, meaning mature and entire, wanting nothing. That trials are meant in your life to fill in the weak spots, the areas that you're not good in, the cracks that are showing in your faith. These trials are sent to give you the endurance that you need to make it for the long haul so that you'll be a complete, mature Christian. I, can't, I, I really, really cannot wait until next Sunday night because the stories that you're going to hear of people who have walked through some of the most difficult, darkest days that you and I can possibly imagine, and they've come out stronger, more in love with Jesus, and better off because of it. And it's just, to hear their stories, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, somebody's got to hear this story. But I think to myself of the maturity that these people had. That they weren't, hey, God did me wrong and I quit on my faith. The majority of people that I talk to that identify, them as, that identify themselves as atheists, generally at some point along the way they feel like God let them down and then they stop believing in God because God didn't meet their needs or their wants. But these are people who, hey, God didn't give me what I wanted, but he gave me what I needed. God didn't work it out the way that I had him planned and anticipated. My life doesn't look like what I thought it would look like, but God's still good. He's always faithful. That's Christian maturity. And you say, oh, I don't know if I've got what it takes to do that. Good, start working now. Start now filling your heart and mind with the wisdom that you need to train up your faith so that when time comes, you can meet it with not your own strength, white knuckling through it, just hoping that it gets over, but you can meet it with the strength that God's been building in you by putting his word in your heart. Endurance is part of the progress and development of a solid Christian faith. Again, perfect, entire, wanting nothing. It's been said before that a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. How many of you have a spare tire in your car? Raise your hand. How many of you think you might have a spare tire in your car? Raise your hand. That's me. I think I got one. I'm not really sure. How many of you know that you have a spare tire with a jack, your spare tire is properly inflated, and you have all the tools necessary to change your tire if needed? Raise your hand. How many people? That level of certainty. Good for you. How many of you are just winging it? I got roadside assistance if all else fails, right? Yes. 
here's the thing. Preparation is critical for us. And you and I, for us to be able to do this, we have to be willing to walk through that progress, the progression of our faith to get to that point. It's not like, hey, when it's there, I hope it's there. No, for you and I in the Christian life, we got to know I have a spare tire. It's fully inflated. I have a jack and all the tools necessary. If I get a flat tire today, I can change it. We have to have that level of certainty that if a trial comes next week, I'm ready for it. Say, well, how will you know? You'll know when it comes. <laughs> but you got to be ready. You got to prepare yourself. There's a, a man who was attending our church for a while. Um, again, in the early days of our church, I, I, had, I got stories all day long about people who used to attend church, right? He was getting ready to go to prison for five years, and he knew it. Uh, and so he'd already been sentenced and everything, and he had a date that he was supposed to report uh, to prison. It was about six weeks or so that he had before the time he actually had to report for, for five years. He said, Pastor, what should I do? I said, man, let's spend the next six weeks putting together a plan. You know, you're going to be cut off from everything, so let's go through discipleship. I want to teach you what it means to be a committed follower of Christ. I'm going to give you a Bible that you can take with you. We've got all the rules and regulations on how you get a Bible to and stuff like that. And while you're in, he had this email system that he could use that was so convoluted and difficult. You had to put in four different passwords and different codes to be able to get one message. No attachments, no nothing, all plain text. I said, whenever you're done with the book that I send you, I want you to send me an email. I'll send you a new one. And so, man, probably six months I sent him books once a week. Different books on his faith and growing and things like that. I had a couple opportunities to be able to meet him uh, at the, the prison, sit over there and talk with him for a little bit, encourage him and pray with him and things like that. But he knew he was going in, and so I took about six weeks and discipled him. Got him prepared, gave him some scripture to memorize. We marked some verses and had him commit him to memory. Why? Because I knew he was going to go through one of the most difficult times in his entire life, and I wanted him to be prepared for it. You and I don't have a calendar that says, hey, six weeks from now, you're going to go through the hardest thing you've ever gone through in your life, so get ready for it. No, you just need to get ready today. We don't have the luxury of knowing when it comes, so just prepare today, because it's coming. I promise you that. I don't know if it'll be this week. I don't know if it'll be this year. But I promise you, trials and difficulty are coming. And they're coming without warning. It's going to come out of nowhere. And I don't want you, when that comes, to be sitting there going like, whoa, where did that come from? Well, what am I going to do now? What am I even supposed to do with this? I want you to be like, whoa, didn't see that coming, but I'm glad the Lord did. All right, God, I'm ready. Teach me, train me, walk me through this. Hey, I'm going to dig into the Word. I'm going to surround myself with solid Christians. I'm going to memorize Scripture. I'm going to walk in holiness and righteousness. I'm going to confess all my known sin to God to make sure that this is not chastisement in my life. And I'm going to do everything that I can in my power to give God glory through this trial because here I am. Let's go. I want you to have that level of assurance when the time comes because it's coming. And when it comes, it's not because God doesn't like you or doesn't love you. It's because God wants to develop a strong faith inside of you. Many of us have people in our family that we're, we would consider people of great faith, whether you've got a grandmother or grandfather, somebody you think of like, oh man, if I need somebody to pray, I'm going to call my grandmother. If I need somebody to pray, I'm going to call my mom. You know why mom and grandma have such a strong faith? Because they've seen some stuff in their days. Because they've walked through some difficult times. Because they've seen things that you and I haven't seen, and they've seen God be faithful through it and strengthen their faith as a result of it. That's part of the progression. Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse number 22, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit into Jerusalem. Here's what Paul says. Not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. Here's the thing. People say, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, you're going to get arrested. You're going to throw you in prison for preaching the gospel. And Paul says, that's fine. I'm not sweating that. And what happened when Paul went to Jerusalem? He got arrested. But here's what he said. None of these things move me, neither I count on my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, hey, if I die, I die. So what? If I get thrown in prison, I get thrown in prison. We're going through Philippians chapter 1. Our series entitled Magnify Jesus, you know what Paul says? That Christ would be glorified in my life either by my life or by my death. If I die, I want Jesus to be magnified through it. That's what he says. 
And so Paul had this idea that, hey, what I'm going through is just part of the Christian life. I want to give God glory through it. Three final thoughts tonight. We're done. First of all, perseverance is not a passive submission to circumstances. It's a strong and active response to the difficult events of life. I'm thankful that the Bible says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower into which we can run and hide. But when it comes to trials and difficulties, you don't just hide in the tower until it passes by. You're going to have to stand up and fight some days. You don't get the luxury of just laying in bed until all this goes away. You're going to have to get up. You're going to have to crack your Bible. You're going to have to meet God on your knees. And when you're done, you need to get up, take a shower, get dressed, and move on with the day. The strength of God is not just laying in bed until this all goes away. Anybody can do that. Strength of God is not self-medicating whether it be with drugs or alcohol or relationships or materialism or <laughs> a little bit of retail therapy to make my things better. Call it what you want. It's idolatry. Self-medication doesn't help. That's not the strength of God. The strength of God is actively facing what's taking place with the strength and power that God's given you to endure and to see it go for the distance. So this is not just passive submission to the circumstances. Oh, well, I don't know what's going on. I guess I'll just wait until all this is over. No, you're not going to wait until it's over. You're going to stand up and fight because you have the tools and resources that you need at your disposal. And you don't get stronger by laying down and curling up in the bed. You get stronger by standing up and walking in the power of God. Secondly, it's not about passive endurance, but the quality of standing on your feet as you face the storms. Again, I'm thankful for, for again, biblical ideas that, that the Lord is a fortress in which we can run and hide and find strength. I love the song I used to, used to sing as a kid. We probably sang it here at Hui Kala a couple of times until the storm passes by. Hold me fast. Help me stand in the hollow of your hand. Hold me close till the storm passes by. And I'm thankful for that, that when storms come, Christ can hide us in him. He can hold us. And our strength is not in our own strength. But the idea of just hunkering down and, and with our, our head between our legs until this goes away, that's not endurance. Endurance is being willing to stand and face the storms when they come. Again, not in our own power, but the power of God. Endurance is not simply the attitude of withstanding trials, but it's the ability to turn them into glory and to overcome them. This is big. Man, in my last 10 years of my life, every time I face a trial, when it starts, whether it's five minutes, five hours, five years. When it starts, I always say, God, I need your grace and strength to make it through this, and I just want you to get glory through it. I don't care what happens to me, I just want you to be glorified through it. And that changes how I view my trial, because it's no longer about poor pitiful me and the awful things that have happened to me. It's that people are going to watch how I handle this, and I want God to get glory through it. If you work in an environment with a lot of unsafe people, they're watching to see how you handle it. And by the grace of God, you won't handle it the way that the unsafe person handles it. Hey, thanks for checking on me. I'm, I'm doing good. You know, I have good days and bad days, but God's faithful. He's going to see me through this. I mean, you have God as your father. You have Christ as your brother. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you if you're a Christian. You have the promises of God's word. You have a church family that loves you. You have a pastor that prays for you. You got all the tools you need to make it for the glory of God. The trials that we've gone through in the health with our daughter, I look at it and say, man, it was only by the grace of God. She's, she's doing well today by the grace of God. God was faithful. And if God had taken her life, I would still tell you today, hey, God's been faithful. He's good. Because God's faithfulness and God's goodness is never predicated on the outcome of our circumstances. If you get nothing out of tonight's message, I want you to get that. 
God's goodness and faithfulness are never predicated on the outcome of our circumstances. God's not good because my daughter's not in the hospital anymore. God's good because God's good. If I had to bury my daughter, I'd still stand up here tonight and tell you that God's good. Hurt? Did it hurt? Yep. Am I struggling with it? Yep. Would it, would it be difficult? For sure. But I could still say God's good. Job said, if God slays me, I'll still trust him. God kills me. I still believe he's good. But so many times, and again, in, in an immature faith, we begin to think, well, God's good if he works it out the way I want. God's good if I get that promotion at work. God's good if I get that raise I'm looking for. God's good if I can get all my student loans paid off. God's good if people like me. God's good if everything works in my favor, but if it doesn't, mm, maybe God's not so good. Mm-mm. God is good because God is God. God is always faithful. And your ability to say that God is good and God is faithful is never based on the outcome of your circumstances. It's just who God is. It's his character. And so we want to take these trials and not just suck it up and endure it. I want to take this and I want to turn it to the glory of God. And I want to come out on the other side of it stronger as a result. Man, there's not a single solitary trial in our life that we've ever gone through that I think, hey, that was really cool. I'm glad I went through that. That was a great learning experience. Never. It's always like, I would have never chosen that for myself. But God's good. I learned through that. I'm stronger through that. I'm wiser through that. I can give advice based on that area because of my own personal experience. And here's the awesome part about it. My personal experience is always going to be backed up by the Word of God. Because God's Word is always true. And so I can, again, tell you all day long about how good God's been to me and what God's done for me and the way I've seen God come through and the way He's been faithful. But that only goes back to back up what God already said. But you know what happened? My experiences strengthened my faith in the Word of God because God's Word came alive to me in difficulties, trials, and suffering. So, if you're going through something today, know this. I love you and I'm with you. If there's ever anything I can do to help, if there's any way I can pray, please let me know. I, I love, I love that. But I want you to know through this, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going to go through, God's good. He's always faithful. You will probably never understand why, and that's okay. But I want you to trust God through it because he's doing something special in you. It's not comfortable does it feel good? But the end result, I promise you, will be good. I told you the first week when we were talking about trials. You will not like the process, but you will love the product. What's the end result? A strong, mature, complete faith that will take you not just a couple of weeks, but it's going to last you for the rest of your life because it gives you steadfastness and endurance to be able to go the distance so when you're faced with difficulties and trials trust the lord give him glory and walk through it with the strength that he's given you thanks for joining us for the hui kala baptist church podcast we'd love to have you as our guest this sunday morning at 10 a.m You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.